Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, book two, chapter eight of War and Peace. Let's go straight into the discussion prompts. Rostov is quite obviously dealing with some anxiety towards his regimental commander after the confrontation regarding Talyanin from chapter five. Do you think he would still run back towards the bridge if that anxiety to redeem himself wasn't present? Again, we see the absurdity of war in the miscommunication over setting fire to the bridge. Do you feel this was an act of malicious compliance, perhaps an honest mistake, or was it all a ploy for the regimental commander to earn honour and glory by having his men dramatically set fire to the bridge while under fire? At the end of the chapter, we see the contrast between Rostov's existential terror at the thought of death contrasted with the colonel's total disregard for the death of one of his men. How do you think this attitude will affect the relationship between the enlisted men and their superiors moving forward? And a fourth discussion prompt. I feel like this is a good chapter to ask, do you have a favourite line? Gurdjie's Asamuli said, To earn honour and glory by having his men dramatically set fire to the bridge? Exactly. One should pay attention to Zerkov's comment about the Order of St. Vladimir and another one in the end of the chapter, about an upcoming promotion. Also, it's remarkable how Nikolai thinks of himself as a coward, although he never once hesitated to run to the bridge with the others and spend time there, just for thinking that he could get killed and would never have a chance to see that landscape again. Amy Lay says, Nikolai is very idealistic. If he was not, he'd probably be positioned even higher in the military, considering who his family is. This way it seems he wants to earn the respect for himself. Well, that's a good take. Rick Evans said their favourite line was this, I feel like this was a chapter in which shit got real. It was intensely dramatic and I found it exciting, but my favourite part was actually the most poignant, the section in which Rostov is entranced by the beauty of the scenery around him and overcome by desperation to be out of the battlefield and away in those mountains under the dazzling blue sky. Bubble Hall said, Bubble Hale, sorry, said, I felt part of the importance of that line was because without the battle, no one pays attention to how beautiful the sky is. The sky has always been there, but the soldiers won't be. Zukov17 has a summary for us. The French are really close to the bridge, and all the Russians have moved on aside from Nikolai's regiment, which is supposed to burn the bridge. Bodjanich, who Nikolai assumes still has it out for him due to the whole purse incident, orders Nikolai back to burn the bridge. That wasn't set aflame due to some communication error. The French are close enough and managed to kill three Russians. I think they killed two. No, sorry, they killed one and injured two, I think was it. The bridge ends up burning, but Nikolai is unable to help. War is nothing like he thought it would be. He's in shock, and every experienced soldier knows. Big Boo Banana said, F word, this just got real the last couple of chapters he's been building and now he's seeing it up close this was an intense chapter i was doing the um the translation work today by the way and um uh which i uh what where am i up to now i I don't know book two chapter 19 i think it is um and it's really i think it might be my favorite chapter in the book it's definitely in the top three of my favorite chapters in the whole book, the one that I'm working on at the moment. So that's coming up in you know a week or, or two weeks or whatever, um, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But 
yeah there's some there's some great chapters coming up um I reckon we just keep reading what do you think yeah let's just keep reading hey? let's read chapter 9 the Russian army of 35,000 men under Kutuzov's command was being chased now by a hundred thousand of Bonaparte's Frenchmen and encountering a population that was unfriendly to it, losing confidence in its allies, suffering from having bugger all supplies and being compelled to act under conditions of war unlike anything they had expected. The retreat quick, they retreated quickly along the Danube, stopping when the enemy caught them to fight rearguard actions when necessary to prevent losing its heavy equipment. They'd seen a little action at Lambach, Amsterdam and Melk, but despite the courage and endurance they that they showed during these fights, which even the enemy acknowledged, the only outcome of these fights was for them to retreat even faster. The Austrian troops who had managed to escape capture in Ulm had been tagging along with Kutuzov since Brunau, but now separated and went their separate way, leaving Kutuzov with just his weak and exhausted, weak and exhausted Russian fellows. The thought of defending Vienna was long since abandoned now. There had been a carefully planned offensive prepared in accordance with a fancy new science called strategics and given to Kutuzov in Vienna by the Austrian Hofskriegsgraf. But now Kutuzov had tossed that plan out the window to focus on his new seemingly impossible aim to retreat all the way back to the fresh forces that were advancing from Russia without doing a Mac and losing his army. On the 28th of October, Kutuzov and his army crossed the Danube River to its left blank, bank sorry, and for the first time in ages held a position with the river between themselves and the enemy. On the 30th, he attacked Mortier's division, which was on the left bank too, and broke it up. Hell yes, they'd, gone, they'd done a good thing, for they'd finally managed to take some trophies from the enemy, banners, cannons and two enemy generals. For the first time after two weeks of running away, with the enemy boot firmly up their butts, the Russian troops had turned and given back a little booting of their own, not just holding the field but pushing the enemy back. Things were still not looking great. They had lost a third of their troops, some having been killed, others sick or wounded, and some straggling behind because they were sick or wounded, having been abandoned on the other side of the Danube with a letter from Kutuzov entrusting the enemy to show them humanity. And though the hospitals and houses in the nearby town of Krems had been converted to military hospitals, they were too full to accept any more wounded. Despite all this, the victory in Krems over Mortier had raised the spirits of Kutuzov troops considerably. There were some very exciting and very wrong rumours circulating throughout the whole army and at headquarters about the imaginary approach of droves of Russian troops, of some victory gained by the Austrians, and of Bonaparte and his lot running away with their tails tucked under. During the battle, Prince Andre had been in attendance on the Austrian General Schmidt, who was killed in the action. Andre's own horse had been wounded under him and his arm slightly grazed by a bullet, because the commander-in-chief liked him, André was sent with the news of his victory to the Austrian court, which had been moved from Vienna to Brunn due to the threat of the French in Vienna. Despite being a wee bit on the flimsy side, physique-wise, Prince André had far better endurance than most muscular men, and on the night of the battle, after arriving at the Krems, excited, 
and not too knackered with dispatches from Duke from Dokturov to Kutuzov, he was sent immediately with a special dispatch to Brun. Being entrusted with his errand meant not only a reward, but a big step towards promotion. The night was dark but starry, the road was slicked black from snow that had fallen the day before, the day of the battle. He was amusing himself with pleasant thoughts, thinking back over the battle, remembering the send-off that Kutuzov had thrown him, and picturing happily how stoked everyone was to be to hear his how stoked everyone was going to be to hear his news of victory. And with these pleasant thoughts he fanged along in his post chase, the horses at a gallop, feeling at long last a happiness he dreamt of dreamt of. As soon as he closed his eyes, he heard the rattle of the wheels and felt the sensation of victory. Then he started thinking about dying, the Russians retreating helplessly and being slaughtered, himself included, but then shook away those horrors with a fresh rendition of imagined victory and of the French running away in defeat. He re-ran the brain replay of yesterday's victory, remembering his own calmness and courage during the battle, and feeling reassured, he dozed off. The dark starry night was followed by an absolute pisser of a morning. The snow was thawing in the sunshine, the horses were feeling good, moving swiftly at a gallop, and on either side of the road were forests of different kinds, fields and villages. At one of the post stations he overtook a transport of wounded Russians. The officer in charge of the convoy lolled back in the front cart, screaming his head off, hurling abuse at a soldier. There were several German carts in the convoy, and in each were half a dozen or so pale, filthy, bandaged men being bumped around by the stony road. Some of the men were talking, Prince Andrei heard Russian words, others were nibbling bread, while the ones whose wounds were a bit more fucked watched silently like weary sick children and at Prince Andre passing at Prince Andre's passing envoy. Prince Andre told his driver to pull up, and he asked one of the soldiers what fight they'd been in and where they were wounded. On the Danube, day before last, answered the soldier. Prince Andre took out his purse and gave the soldier three gold pieces. That's for everyone, he told the officer who came over to get involved. Get well soon, lads, he continued, turning to the soldiers. There's still plenty to do. What news, sir? asked the officer, evidently eager to start a conversation. Good news. Off we go, he shouted to the driver, and they galloped on. It was pretty dark already when Prince Andre rattled into the paved streets of Brunn, suddenly surrounded by high buildings with lit-up shops, houses, street lamps, fancy carriages, and all the lovely atmosphere of a bustling town, which was so attractive to a soldier who'd been at camp. Despite having had little sleep while fanging it overnight to Brun, he felt perfectly bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as he drove up to the palace. His eyes were bright and a little sketchy from over-tiredness, but his thoughts were as clear and quick as can be. He again replayed the details of the battle, no longer vaguely, but in the concise and definite terms he imagined he would use to Emperor Francis. He fielded imaginary questions put to him casually and answered expertly. He expected to be ushered immediately to the emperor, but at the main entrance to the palace, an official came running out to meet him, and after learning that André was a special messenger, he was led to another entrance. In and to the right from the corridor, Jure Hoschenborgen, 
You should find an adjutant on duty, said the official. He'll take you to the Minister of War. Prince Andrei found the adjutant on duty, who asked him to wait and nicked off to the Minister of War. Five minutes later, he came back and bowed to Prince Andrei, seeing, seeming far more courteous towards Andrei now, and ushered him along a corridor to the cabinet where the Minister of War was at work. It became clear why the adjutant was being so courteous. He was trying to dissuade the Russian messenger from being in any way casual with the minister. The wind was dropping rapidly from Prince Andrei's sails as he approached the door of the minister's room. He felt a little offended for a second, and then he felt a lot offended, and then he felt outright fucked off, though the feeling was uncalled for. His fertile mind quickly constructed a reason for him to be pissed off and to despise the adjutant and minister. All the way over here, far from even the smell of gunpowder, they probably think it's a piece of piss to take victories out there, he thought. His eyes narrowed with hate. He entered the room of the Minister of War with peculiarly deliberate steps. This feeling of loathing grew further when he set his eyes on the minister, sitting at a large table, reading some papers and making notes in pencil on them, and for a full two minutes, maybe even three, taking no notice at all of Andre's arrival. There were wax candles either side of the minister's lowered head, lighting his bald scalp and grey temples. He just went on reading till the end, not even looking up at the opening of the door or the sound of footsteps. Take this and deliver it, said he to his adjutant, shoving papers into his hand and still completely ignoring the special messenger. Prince Andre figured that one of two things was happening. Either the minister didn't give a single shit about the actions of Kutuzov's army, or he wanted the Russian special messenger to think he didn't give a shit. Whatever, makes no difference to me, thought Andre. The minister gathered together the remaining papers, arranged them evenly, and, and only then raised his head. He had an intellectual and distinctive head, but as soon as he turned to Prince Andre, its intelligent look was swapped out for a clearly well-practiced expression, he took on the dumbest and fakest smile imaginable. It was so dumb and fake that it didn't even attempt to seem authentic. It was the smile of a man who was constantly being visited and asked for favours. Sent by General Field Marshal Kutuzov, he asked. Hope it's good news. Oh, a battle with Mortier. A victory. About time. He took the dispatch, which was addressed to him, and started reading it with a mournful look about him. Oh my god, my god, Schmidt, he exclaimed in German. What a kerfuffle, what a kerfuffle. Having glanced through the dispatch, he chucked it on the table and looked at Prince Andre, evidently thinking something over. Oh, what a kerfuffle. You reckon the affair was decisive, but we didn't capture Mortier. Again, he pondered a moment. I'm really glad you've come with good news, although Schmidt's death is a big price to pay for the victory. His Majesty will no doubt want to see you, but not today. All right, thank you. You should get some rest. Be at the levee tomorrow after the parade. Although, I'll let you know. The dumb and fake smile, which had faded while he spoke, sprang back to its full dumb and fakeness. Au revoir, thanks very much. His Majesty will probably want to see you, he repeated, bowing his head. When Prince Andre left the palace, he felt deflated. The triumphant feeling of victory had been stolen, by the indifferent hands of the Minister of War and his overly polite adjutant. The whole vibe of his thoughts was completely off now, 
the battle seemed like a distant and faded memory. Alright, there we go. That's that chapter for you. Have your say about that one over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.